Welcome to the Gibson Gazette podcast, where everything in life is story. Story is how we share ideas, politics, vision, fantasies, experiences, even our hopes and dreams. The Gibson Gazette is a podcast show devoted to story. Those we consume, those we tell ourselves, and those told to us. Welcome. Well, everybody, for our very first show, we decided to let you get to know us, uh, both AMC and ILMG have very um, varied backgrounds and careers. Um, We're both Gen Xers. We both um, are, I'll be 47 in less than a week. Um, I'm not sure if my co-host wants to share her age. I'm not gonna do that to her, (laughs) but let's just- I I look fat you, you know what I mean? I'm good. There we go. I see mommy and daddy Hey, I'm 46. I'll be 47 in May. Gemini power. Okay, there we go. A Capricorn and a Gemini should be a very interesting dynamic on this show. Um, So uh, most of you know me as L. Michael Gibson, and um, I'll let my co-host introduce herself. And a lot of y'all know me as AMC, a.k.a. Soul Aphrodisiac on the internet. Um, And do, do I have to give the whole you know, semi-profile thing, or did they, you think they already, you know, know the juice? I mean, you could tell them uh, a line or two of why they, why they should listen to you, (laughs) right? Because we're going to be giving a lot of opinions about a lot of things, and they're going to be like, who are these black folks, and why should we pay attention to anything they have to say? So true, so true. Okay, well, okay, guys, I have been doing this writing thing for a good 20 plus years. Uh, I've written for different publications in the US and in Canada. And I failed to mention that I am actually located in Toronto right now. I've lived in New York, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so that's uh, a big part of me. And uh, that's where I got to basically live and, and breathe everything that I love about music and networking and getting to know people and interviewing and doing all that good stuff. So I love culture, I love arts, I love music, and short form, that's what brought me here to LMG because he is one of the dudes that I've always, always checked in on when I was like writing and doing my thing when I first started out. So the day that one hit me up and was like, I love your blog, and then I was like, LMG's telling me he loves my blog, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so that brought me here. Well, That's thank you for point. thank you for agreeing to be my co-host. I have a 27 year career, I guess now 28 year career this year um, in public health and community development and community mobilization work, um, writing and education. Um, I am the founder of four or five different projects now including a youth center in Cleveland, Ohio, a film festival I'm a co-founder of in in Chicago, a Black Men of Size support group in Detroit, which now has chapters in other cities, and a um, youth program here in Merida, Mexico, where I reside, um, focused on Black history, culture, politics with Black teenage expats. Um, So... Yeah, I do a little bit of everything, but most people know me in the public sphere as a cultural and music critic. I was editor for SoulTracks.com for 11 years and worked with various publications for over 18 before I kind of retired from that role. Uh, so this is my foray back into the public sphere. Um, we'll see how long it lasts. Hopefully it'll have as long of a run as my Soul Tracks run. Um, so... We um, decided to interview each other, you know, narcissists that we are, uh, for our first podcast show and um, let you get to know a little bit about us since you're going to be listening to us talk about our different opinions on things. Um, And I think we've kind of already said we're both kind of trained as writers and journalists, worked in that space. Um, Emery still works in that space in Canada, just got a brand new position. You know, you could pop your collar for that. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, or if you can with the people, Anne-Marie, before I, we go into our interview. 
Thank you very much. And yes, I can. I am now the lead entertainment writer for buyblacks.com. And buyblacks.com is a wonderful site and it's actually the leading website for uh, black content in Canada. Um, great uh, interviews, great opinion pieces. It's, it's a fantastic site, really and truly. So I'm really glad to be on board um, on the uh, editorial side. I'm really excited about it. I, I know we always talk about uh, 2022 being our creative year and jumping back into creative. And this was big for me. So first came the podcast. I manifested that. And then came this opportunity. I manifested that too. So we're doing good. We're doing really, really, really well so far. You know, I got some questions for you about all this manifestation stuff. You know, I look forward to hearing <laughs> your thoughts on that. Um, all right. You can go ahead. I've talked a lot. So if you have, if you want to all be right. the first for a question, um, let me uh, right. go ahead and pull that up for you. Okay. So, so my very first me. question. Oh, you're going to go first. All right. Oh, you can hear more of my voice. <laughs> I thought the people were already bored with my voice. All right, go ahead. So I want you to tell us a little bit about little LMG. Like, what did you want to be when you were little? Straight up. What did you want to be? Um, so there's two different questions there. So I'll go with a little bit about the little LMG. Um, so before age 10, he was fairly joyful quick to smile, creative, laugher, throwing shade. Um, but I was also a little femme, um, somewhat bullied, and heavily, heavily churched. We went to church uh, multiple days a week, choir rehearsal, noonday prayer, uh, vocation Bible school, <laughs> you name it, I was in it. Um, you know, and I spent a lot of time with my girl cousins during those years playing with Barbies and whatnot as a queer boy. Um, and with my boy cousins, I would go to Saturday matinee um, matinees at Second Run Theaters and that aren't that don't exist anymore um, to see martial art films. We'd have to sit Indian style because rats would run underneath our seats. Um, oh and, <laughs> and this was like in all of the south side of Chicago neighborhood theaters that have since been torn down, uh, rightly so. But, you know, that was where we could go really inexpensively to go kind of see classic film. So um, after 10, I got hit by a car and that summer gained like 45 pounds. And so I went from being like this Ethiopian thin child to a kind of a fat queer kid that got heavily bullied. Um, but I also was like prematurely exposed to sex stuff. And um, so that I like knew way too much. And, you know, I used that my access to pornography and comedy to protect my mind and body from the neighborhood kids, like in the game, some social standing. So I would crack jokes and I'll pop out the latest edition of Playboy, a hustler that the other kids can get access to. <laughs> yeah, I was that kid. You know, I was, I was, I was corrupting the minds of other youth. Um, so uh, that, you know, in order to fit in, right? Like I was, I did not yeah. fit in. I, I spoke too properly for my neighborhood. I wasn't allowed to speak in proper English in the streets. My mom was always putting me in white spaces um, so I could navigate those spaces later in life. I'm definitely a post-civil rights 80s baby in that regard, um, born in the 70s, but 80s in my upbringing. Um, and so there's, you know, there's a lot of that go with that, like trying to figure out how do you navigate uh, the street life and the hood life that I was growing up in while also being this good boy, church boy, clean cut kid um, everywhere else, um, you know, so you know, we talk about stories. And so that's kind of a little bit my story. So the thing as a kid, I paid the most attention to, um, and this is kind of my dichotomy, were comic books and soap operas yeah. as a child. Oh. And um, and I, I was religious about both things from age five to 19. And then at 19, I decided I was no longer going to invest in stories that had no ending. And this was back in the day, the soap operas, <laughs> the soap operas like never ended. <laughs> like, what's your favorite soap from back in the day? Um, so I was a big all my children person, but then I got, I became weirdly obsessed with Guiding Light. I had found like the 50th anniversary book, 
in the 80s and read it from cover to cover. And so this leads to my the answer to your question. What I yeah. most wanted to be for a really long time was a soap opera writer. <laughs> like I either wanted to be a comic book artist or a soap Ooh. opera writer because those were the two things I was most obsessed with as a kid. Um, I mean, that, that changed. Yeah, yeah, that changed about 14 or 15, but those were the things I most wanted to be as a kid growing up. Very, very weird. All right, your no, turn. And the comics, actually. Oh my, because of my brother, I'm a, I was a big comic head too. Um, so yeah, we would have definitely had a ball as kids, honestly. I was obsessed with X Men. I wanted to be Storm so bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So your turn. What's one of your What's one of your passions, and what's your earliest memory experiencing that passion? I'm a pretty passionate person. Um, I would say. And it may sound cliche, but it really, really isn't. Um, it would be a toss-up between writing and music. Um, on the writing end, it would be uh, my English teacher. I had an English teacher. Lord help me. I hope I don't start to cry. Um, there's a whole like story behind this that hopefully I'll get to share at some point. But right now, because he passed away, he meant a lot to me. You know when you always have that one teacher who made a difference? It was this guy here. And he introduced me to Maya Angelou. Oh, wow. So in, in grade 11, um, we actually had an excerpt from I Know What a Cage Word Sings in our provincial uh, exam. So I was queen essay chick. I, I love to write an essay. Um, I would always spit out gems every year. I loved, loved, loved his classes. So when he brought, he literally brought me the book and he said, read this. I think you'd love it. I went through that book like water. It was fantastic. And then I couldn't stop. And everything was Maya, Maya, Maya to me. Um, Best to fast forward to like present day. um, One of the best gifts that my parents ever got me was me being able to go and see her. So I, I love Maya Angelou with all my heart. And it was because of this teacher and that really um, was the catalyst for me to, to be like, oh, my God, I, writing and words and the power, everything was just amazing to me. And I loved it. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I wrote for the school and stuff. I did all of that stuff, too. So Okay. I, wait, wait, then, hold on, though. Like, <laughs> so you said you got a chance to meet her, though, right? Say that, say that again? You said you got a chance to meet her. You know what? It was a quick thing because when she had finished her show, um, she was supposed to do a meet and greet, but she was sick. She had a little cold. And so she decided to actually nix the meet and greet, but I'm slick like that. So I kind of ran up to the to the elevator where she was going into. And um, boy, when I tell you her bodyguard stopped real quick, I was like, <laughs> I stopped in my tracks. But she was like, it's okay, it's okay. And I got to at least say, hi, and how are you? How are you feeling? Just the fact that I got to say that to her was enough for me. And she looked at me and she smiled and she goes, you have so much soul. And soulful has always stuck with me. Like a lot of people have labeled me as being a soulful person. And I I think that was sprinkled onto me by by Auntie Maya. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, I, have a, I, I have a brief Maya, I met Maya, um, I was like maybe 19 or 20. I was waiting tables at a restaurant called uh, Kramer Books and Afterwards Cafe in Washington, D.C., which is an iconic restaurant bookstore um, slash bookstore that also used to play live music. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's still there. And uh, I worked there for like six years off and on. I would always like quit and come back. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Maya came in during the day and with a little friend of hers and um i guess she already knew the bartender manager um who was there for the day shift and he shut down the bar for maya and it was just maya by herself during the day with her best friend and they sat there and they had cocktails for the entire afternoon and got smashed (laughs) and of course i of course i went up and i spoke to her and, and, and she was wonderfully gracious and hilarious um and her little friend was um a trip um 
one of my I think was one of my family. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was an awesome experience getting a chance to meet her. So yeah, I have my little Maya story. Um, and that was my also my first Maya book. I know why the kids were saying freshman year, um, or maybe even sophomore year English um, was when we had it. So awesome. All right, your turn. I am gonna go for what was your first job? And oh, okay. Mm. I, I, I'm gonna ask if it was a precursor to what you do today. Okay, so I had to prepare for this one because I had to really think about it. Because um, I think that the way that your question came off was that it was a little bit more focused on um, like my professional career. <laughs> and then I was not thinking about it. That's actually not my first job. So my first job was working as a counter clerk in my stepfather's family's liquor store on 63rd Street in Chicago, South, Chicago Southside, a very rough neighborhood. Um, I was allowed to sell everything but liquor because I was six years old when I started. I was, um, <laughs> I was six years old. I was six years old. There was a little TV back there. Um, like, so it was kind of this very narrow, long hallway and there's like candy there and cigarettes, well, cigarettes there, candy there. And then, um, and right in the corner was the TV. So I would sit there and watch cartoons on Saturdays and after school old films in between customers. Um, and I called my dad whenever my stepfather, whenever I had to ring somebody up for liquor, cause I could make change for anything but liquor. Cause liquor, you have to be an adult. Um, so I got mostly paid in quarters to play the video games that were in the store. So they actually got the money right back off of me, <laughs> right? Um, candy. And every summer, like, we went to Great Great America, which is now Six Flags. Um, and so that was like, that trip got paid for, and I got like a ton of money that I could spend on that trip. Um, and so that was what they paid me. So I was essentially slave labor for, for children. Um, oh, no, and- no, no, no. <laughs> You're a very young man. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really have a choice. It was the family's liquor store. This is where my dad had to be, or my stepfather yeah. had to be after work and, um, you know, after school and on Saturdays. And so those were the day of times that I worked there. Um, and I did that until my mother and him separated when I was nine. Soon after that, I had a newspaper paper route. Um, but neither was a precursor to what I do today. But they did teach me the necessity of work, right, to get what you want. Like, if you want something, you have to work for it. And that kind of fits my Capricorn persona, right? Then I've always known to work for more. Um, I've known more work than leisure, shall we say, in my life. Mm-hmm. It's funny that um, you were you had just said, uh, what was it that you said there? Uh, um. Oh my gosh, not even the working aspect. You know what, I'll come back to it. Because there was something that you said particularly and it triggered something, but I'll come back to that. All right. So you, my lady, let's yes, go sir. with what, well, I wonder if this is going to be the same answer. You let me know if I can, and I'll switch to a different question. Um, what okay. novel, what novel or nonfiction work completely changed your life and outlook? It is not the same answer. Okay. It will not be. No. Um, uh, I, I, you know what? In my late teens, I was very much into Alice Walker. Mm. And yeah, I, I, I really love Between Alice Walker. No, no. It was mostly Alice Walker. Um, and the book that really got me at that point was um, Possessing the Secret of Joy. Okay. So it, 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 I know it was really <laughs> it was heavy. It was heavy. It's about female genital manipulation. If nobody I'm aware. Is aware. <laughs> but I was really, really drawn into the characters and more so Tashi because she was like totally going crazy, right? So the relationships, the turmoil, um, the her relationship with her husband, like everything. There were just so many things. And I haven't read it in a very long time. And I keep on saying I need to pick it up again because it was a book that was really shocking to me. But at the same time, it opened up my eyes to a lot that I had no idea was going on around me or outside of, you know, 
the spectrum that I live in. So it's always good to kind of get, you know, your antenna up and, and feel out because I'm, I'm one, I start to read something. If I don't understand it or I don't know about it, I'll start researching like a crazy person. So then I started getting into reading about mutilation and, and the trauma and psychology. And, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I want to be a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it, it kind of ingrained that it was the catalyst for me. And, and, and I actually, um, going into college, I started as a psych major. Um, I was given a bursary by one of the women's auxiliary um, chapters in our community. And I went to an all-white Italian school, by the way. <laughs> and, um, but I, I graduated. They gave me my bursary. I went in. I did one year. I said, nah, man, I ain't doing this shit. And that dream went down the hill. And I'm a writer today. <laughs> That's wow. how that ended. Yeah, it's usually a class or two that ends up forcing writers to become writers. I am awful <laughs> at math. And... Um, even from my, both my undergraduate degree and graduate degrees are in things that require the least amount of math possible in order to sure. earn my credential. <laughs> I was an English lit major, and I remember that year I took, a, I think it was like a business, something, a few business classes, and they looked at me talking about, oh, you had to do accounting too. I said, I barely passed accounting one. Y'all are asking for a lot. It took me three tries to pass that damn class. I'll never forget that. I said, I'm not uh, doing anything accounting-wise ever again in life. It's not going. But now I own my own business. Oh, that's great. Oh, uh, there you go. There you go. But that's what you hire your accountants for. Yes, indeed. And I have a great one. <laughs> All right. Your turn. My turn. Uh, what do I have here? Um, as you know, like I clearly stopped you before we knew each other. And um, <laughs> you have a beautiful relationship with words. I always had enough respect for your pen. Um, what was the initial moment for you where you were just like, yep, I'm going to be a writer. This is it for me. I'm not looking back. Let's do this. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. Um, I am one of those people who are always haunted by elementary and middle school teachers telling my mom repeatedly, he's not living up to his potential. Um, and so I am always someone thinking that I need to be doing more to live up to my potential. So I'm always um, very grateful and humbled by any compliments around my work. Um, being introduced to Baldwin at age 18 made me want to be a novelist. And a year or two later, being introduced to cultural critics like Nelson George, Lisa Jones, and Greg Tate taught me that I could have a voice as a cultural critic and that my opinion could matter. Um, really before those writers, I hadn't thought about that in that way. I always thought of, you know, critics as being um, some kind of elite people who went to elite schools and from elite backgrounds, right? Um, and, and they told me it didn't have to be that. I also cannot underestimate what it meant to be in an on and off again intimate relationship with R&B and jazz critic James Jones IV who was the Army and Jazz Critic for USA Today. Um, he was also a stellar upright bass man, and I used to sing jazz in his quartet back in the day. Excuse um, me, what? Pardon? Go back and say that again? <laughs> I sung jazz in his quartet for about a year. Um, and, you know, we were, we were together off and on from um, age 18 um, until his death when I, I was 21. Um, he was in his early 30s. Um, but he was also from very humble beginnings from Detroit and had earned a master's degree and rose to become like this premier critic of black music at an internationally read newspaper. And he and I would have like these deep philosophical debates about music and artists. And he respected what I had to say and thought I had something to say. And sometimes I would pen stuff and he'd often comment that he thought I was a more naturally gifted writer than he was because he had to work really hard at you know, the writing part of cultural criticism. Um, and that encouraged me greatly to at least give it a try. And, you know, some 18, 20 years later, <laughs> you know, uh, actually longer than that, when I think about the James influence, um, yeah, I got to be that. But it would be a minute. Like, he died when I was 21, and I didn't really start writing 
I started I wrote for like queer press for about mm-hmm. the next five years, but I didn't start right working for like mainstream media or music media until I was about twenty seven. So so that actually has been exactly twenty years. Okay. All right. Wow. You are just a ball of surprise. Hey, I... look, we said this show is going to be about stories. So, you know, I, I got to tell, a, I got to be willing to tell a few of my own, right? Of course. And you know, <laughs> so, definitely, definitely. You're up. You're up. Um, so I'm going to jump around just for time because I recognize we've been going at it for a minute. Uh, you are a mother. So finish this sentence. The most rewarding and challenging thing about being a mother these days are. Mm. Mm. Uh, The most rewarding and challenging things about being a mother these days are uh, rewarding the unconditional love that I'm greeted with every single day. Oh, my God. I love this kid. He's a mini me. He can be an ass when he wants to be. I mean, that's all me. Um, <laughs> he's absolutely amazing. He's intelligent. He's quirky. I could go on. Okay, so I won't. But I love my boy, and he's just absolutely awesome. And the challenging thing I would say that I grapple with every day is the balancing act and the constant battle to ensure that like in my mind and in my psyche that everything is all right with him. I want to support him, love and nurture him in the best way possible and keep him safe in these, these nasty trying times. It's so hard. I've had so many conversations with, um, you know, white moms that, you know, understand allies that get it where I'm like, you know, I have to sit down with my child when he gets to a certain age and explain to him, the differences between, you know, John and you, like there are big differences and you're going to have to learn how to maneuver in certain circumstances. So that shit is, is just, is hella challenging. I won't even lie. I just, the thought of it, sometimes it makes my stomach turn. The fact that I have to sit down and have that talk. How old is the baby? He's four now. Aww. He's four. Oh. He's got a mouth like what? But he's four. <laughs> <laughs> that's my awesome. Body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if that's happening at four, good luck on the next fourteen. <laughs> yeah, and all I could do is sigh. My brother, my nephew is eighteen, so yeah, he keeps on telling me the same thing. But I, I think we'll do well. I think we'll be all right. <laughs> awesome. Yes, sir. Um, Your so turn. I got something for you. Um, what is your all-time love? So what ranks as number one on your list, music or theater? Mm. So <laughs> that's tough. Uh, as I have revealed, <laughs> I used I to know. sing. Um, I used to sing all the time. And I grew up with my mother singing all the time, too. My mother had a beautiful voice. She had perfect pitch. Um, and church, like black folks in church, she was a church singer. Um, so music was so powerful to me that it could dictate my mood. Like, you know, if whatever mood was the song, that would be my mood. You know, so if I played up-tempo stuff and upbeat stuff, I'd be happy. If I played some sad, mournful stuff, I would be in the blues. Um, and, you know, in the soundtrack, the first 30 or 40 years of my life, um, theater doesn't have the same heritage for me in that way. Um, but it is an undeniable passion. My first legit play was August Wilson's The Piano Lesson um, at the Goodman Theater in Chicago with the original Broadway cast on their national tour. Um, Charles Dutton and essentially it was the cast of Rock for those who remember the TV show Rock on Fox. So yeah, yeah. That was almost everybody that was in the piano lesson that I saw that day on stage. Um, and the original Broadway cast, um, or actually, no, the national tours for the musicals Me and My Girl and Les Mis. Um, both when I saw all three of these shows when I was age 14. 
Um, and I wanted to be involved in theater ever since, like after that, that was, you know, I was like, mm, soap opera writing is cute, but it would be really great to be on stage. <laughs> like, um, and while my love affair with music admittedly has waned in the last five years, you and I've talked privately about that a lot. Um, and I'm comfortable not being involved in music after having been a singer, a songwriter, a manager of other artists, um, and perhaps most notably a critic. Um, I still have to say my relationship to the theater or wanting to be part of theater in some way hasn't gone away. Like I still either want to be a playwright or a director of community theater, like that itch is still there. Um, so, you know, I'll eventually get it scratched, uh, but yeah, theater has endured where music has been harder to stay as committed to in the way that I was for most of my life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what about you? I mean, I'm, I'm going to turn that question a little bit around on you, even though that's not the question I have for you. <laughs> How are you around um, music these days? Uh, I think we're kind of in the same boat. Um, I, For me personally, I, I noticed that when I had my son, well, first of all, when I had my son, I went through postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny because I I wasn't playing music at all. And it only dawned on me, um, you're aware of um, Will, Will, Will Dawson. Um, I, I don't, I think you, mm-hmm. you know. No Will Dawson. Um, mm-hmm. An amazing storyteller in his own right, who's doing sure things is. out in California these days. He sure is. He's he's out there doing his thing. Um, but uh, he was over visiting, and he looked around, and he he looks at me, and he goes, "There's no music playing. What's going on with that?" And it that's honestly when it dawned on me, and I was like, "Huh." Because he knows. I mean, we'd spend nights running around in Harlem, singing all night long, running up and down blocks. And I mean, he, he was my music, you know, partner in crime. So he knew that something just was, it wasn't right, right? So um, for a while, I just wasn't tapped into the music scene like that. And I was okay with it. And then when I started hearing all of these sing-songy, really just dragging my feet, kind of chicks and and dudes throwing sex and all kind of thing. I, listen, man, <laughs> I like my music a little, a, a certain way, you know, so we'll get into that conversation, I'm sure. Right, at some point. right. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, it just, it stuff became watered down for me. And I was like, it's a good thing I'm not critiquing anything right now because I'd just be slandering everything. So it would be a good idea for me to step back and just kind of tune out for a little bit. And that's what I did. I think the first review that I've done lately, uh, I just did the Weekends review. I don't like the Weekend, mm. and that album kind of did it for me. Where I was like, okay, well, certain things can run, you know. <laughs> Meaning that album. you like the album, or you didn't like the album. I I liked the sonic play. I loved the instrumentation because it was very 80s. It's very Depeche Mode. I was very mm. much into Depeche back in the day. I loved the 80s pop synth sound. Like So that pulled me in. I hate his struggle voice. I hate the fact that he <laughs> tries to be alive. I hate these things. So <laughs> Hate is such a strong it. word. I mean, wow. Hate. It really is. That's why I'm using it, LMG. <laughs> Wow. Okay. And people think I'm a tough critic. I, that was the reputation I had, but you, they, you've been hiding in the wings really stealthily <laughs> and not letting people see how tough a critic you are. That's interesting. Um, so I'm actually going to ask you a, credit, a question on our list. Uh, so uh, I'm going to probably narrow this down to just two questions left in order to kind of make sure we have enough space. Um, to also okay. talk about what people can expect from the show moving forward, because um, this is our own self-indulgent little thing. This is not going to be the show. <laughs> um, uh, so you're one of these five or ten year planners, like with vision boards and whatnot, or because I've heard you 
I've heard you a couple of times speak about manifesting. So what are your thoughts on manifesting what you want? And, you know, are you one of these folks who do all of the the things? All of the things. All of the things. <laughs> the vision board, the five to ten year plan, the whole thing. No lie. I, I really am. I, I am a vision board girl. However, that long haul five to ten year thing, that ain't working for me. There are 365 <laughs> days in one year. That's long enough. You know what I mean? Like a year, a lot of transition can happen in one year. Um, but I do love to sit down and do the vision board thing. And when it's not an option, I, I write things down. I really truly believe more so in writing things down with intention. Because uh, I feel like you're more committed to it. And um, and it, you see, you, you, you tend to be more accountable when it's written down on paper. You're like, you see it, it's there, and you must do it, or you must follow through. Um, I'm really, really big on manifesting. I think that whatever you put into the universe, you can get back uh, tenfold. I just need people to understand that it doesn't work with, hey, I need a million dollars, and then it comes back to you. That's not how it works. What? You need so what's the point? I need my lotto win. <laughs> well, well, you and I were both been <laughs> sitting on that mound a long time ago. <laughs> I just, people need to realize that it's part universe, part diligence, and part sweat. You know what I mean? There's, there's got to be some work behind that. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, really big on the manifestation part. So I, I, in, in uh, full transparency, I took my first manifestation class ever uh, this oh, nice. last summer. And um, an amazing teacher, shout out to Kathy and her partner, Marcy. Um, Marcy, um, they both are amazing people. And they uh, kind of they taught, but it was really Kathy's class. And she taught us about it. And, you know, I'm a Capricorn. And I am also somebody who is. I don't want to say lapsed in my Christian faith, but I'm certainly not a devout adherent um, in the way that I was raised to be. Um, grandmama would have called me a backslider right about now. <laughs> um, so, and, and part of that is a healthy skepticism about, you know, everything happening for a reason and everything that working for the good, you know, mm -hmm. when I, so my skepticism about manifesting, I was like, so what, you know, the people who were in famines, they just didn't manifest enough food. <laughs> like it felt very Western privileged thinking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in working with Kathy, she was able to help me get a little bit past that part of my thinking of it. And, you know, the secret that wasn't a secret. Right. Um, and think more about how many things in my life have I spoken into existence and worked on and actually made happen. Right. And that yeah. I've consistently and repeatedly did, even without knowing I was doing it all the time. Um, and so that part of it doesn't feel so woo woo to me and I can get with. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I do think that if you work on something and you put forth an idea, I also like the gratitude piece of it. Um, that does speak to my Christian heritage and mm -hmm. um, just picking some space out of the day to give thanks for all of the things that are working in my life and are, you know, and are beautiful in my life. That feels uh, necessary. Um, I've been an incredibly privileged person. Um, I joke about the fact that I'm a street kid made good. Um, people learn more about my story as we go throughout the show. But um, the reality is, is that like I have beat so many statistical odds that it's not even funny. And so I can't, you know, that was also the thing that kept me from being an atheist or, you know, 100% agnostic, because there's just too many things in my life that have worked out that shouldn't have statistically, contextually worked out, right? Like, right. grace was definitely sufficient. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that 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 is, so I was curious, because I know you have talked a lot about manifesting in our cause, and wanted to know, like, you know, how much of that was real for you. So, it, thank you for good, sharing. Yeah. You're All welcome. Right. That's big. We got. We have time for like one more. So I'm one thinking we question. both do um, one more. Well, you can give. You have two more for me, but I have one more for you for sure. Okay. Um, let me pick. Um, okay, you're an old school, and I say old school with quotes. <laughs> yeah. 
school journalist. I mean, yeah, we're the same age, so you know, I'm not no. Look, you know, I work with teenagers who told me that they were born in like 2009. <laughs> right? right? So, but you love when they call you sir, and like I know it's. I mean, the sir, and all of that doesn't bother me. I I started working with kids when I was um, hands on directly with teenagers. Um, very young, so and, and to you know, I was old to them when I was thirty, right? I was already yeah, Uncle yeah. Mike at thirty, so um, to now I'm 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 practically Methuselah, <laughs> so so I, I don't expect them to uh, view me that, in that way. But it is it is hard to realize when people are talking about they were born and they were children during your thirties, right? Like that's. Yeah. Just impossible yeah. to wrap your head around sometimes. Quick, quick, really quick story about this old stuff. So one day I hitched up on some, I was, I, I've turned into a Twitch crazy person. Love Twitch. When you find your DJs there and the music and it's a great platform. No commercial, no ad, just letting y'all know this. But um, so I hitched up in a room and it was a room with, all of my old school Montreal cats that I, you know, grew up with. And, and I was very much a community kid. I did a lot of um, community work, et cetera, et cetera. So um, apparently I was talking with one of them in the chat and the DJ was somebody that I used to be a counselor for in camp. So when I started talking about different things back in the day, he goes, what you know about that? What you know about that? What you know about that? And everybody's like, oh, you don't know who this is? I'm like, oh, snap. What is going on here? <laughs> this guy is in his, like, I think he's in his late 20s, early 30s now. Oh, wow. So that made me feel hella old. Because I was like, wow, that must have been around when I was in my 20s, early 20s. So imagine, I stumbled on somebody on Twitch that I used to count for. <laughs> That is nuts to me. That's but awesome. Back um, to your question. Mm -hmm. um, so you know about you know how to have a um, how to use handheld recorders with cassettes. I mean, you know they have them digitally now, but we used to use cassettes back in the day, and the pen and paper, and you know just doing it old school. So what's something that you like to do? Still like to do the old fashioned way. Sex. No, let me stop. <laughs> Though I am pretty vanilla in my sex, I've taken the test about kinks and fetishes, and uh, people are always really mad that I'm not, like, really into that stuff. I'm very vanilla. Anyway, um, that was way too much information Ooh. and not what we were, not the answer that I've developed for this question. I bet um, you anything. Right, but it was the first thing that came to me. You know, we got to have some spontaneity here. Uh, no, so I'm still, I still buy physical media. So I, um, it's a running joke. So uh, for people who haven't already picked up, I'm a black expat now. I'm originally from Chicago. Um, I've lived in seven different cities and now three different countries. Um, and I've landed in Merida, Mexico. And, um, you know, I moved here with like a 30 foot truck and most of that truck was physical media. Like I, I literally told the people who were packing my truck, I was like, this physical stuff, this media, these books, this music, these DVDs, these Blu-rays are first after the bedroom, <laughs> like anything after that we can squeeze in. But this stuff is my things, right? Like all of the money I've invested over all of the years has been in these things. So I still, um, you know, I still buy physical books and um, CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays. Um, and that's considered old school now. Like I was shocked when I moved here and most of the expats here don't have Blu-ray players or DVD players. Um, <laughs> they all stream. Um, and even if I like may watch or listen to something through streaming, because like I have Spotify and Audible, um, I still want to have a physical copy of the best of those works. Um, and and or if I just want to support the artist, because I know that streaming isn't going to get them what that what that money in their pocket could. Um, so, right. um, yeah, so I I still buy, and I'm that's probably the most old school thing about me. And it's sad because there's no one I have asked. No one in my family wants the stuff when I die. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I I went to my baby brother. I was like, I, you know, you get this this huge collection, this Linden. You know, I actually do a lending library here in, in Merida um, because I, there's no way for me to ever read all of the books that I have. I'm, I'm one of those people who buy more books than I could ever read. Um, so I do a lending library here, and I was gonna do it for my film library as well. But again, nobody really has Blu-ray players or DVD players. Um, so, you know, I talked to my baby brother. I was like, yo, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the will and thinking about what I'm going to leave people. And he's like, I don't you want that stuff. I'm, I'm trying to downsize. I'm, I'm, I'm going minimalist. I'm like, so I'm going to end up donating all of this stuff to like the English speaking library here in Merida. Cause that's like maybe the only space that won't reject all of my things. <laughs> Oh my god, that is hilarious. It's, now you yeah. got me thinking because I'm like, oh, I keep on saying oh, I'm gonna leave my record collection and my CD collection. I got over like they, you know, they don't want that stuff. They really don't. I'm here sitting like, oh, I'm gonna leave it for him. He's gonna love it. He don't even know what to do with it. They don't want any parts of it. It just feels heavy. I mean, it, look, I spent a fortune moving my stuff down here, so it is extra and heavy, but I, like you say, I'm old school. I'm old-fashioned in that way. Exactly. That's All thing. right. So for you, I have, um, I'm actually going to ask you two questions. So one, one, because I think it's important for your, the people who are watching the podcast or listening to the podcast to get a feel of this for you, about you. So what aspects about your personality or taste would you say are informed by being Canadian? And what aspects are informed by your West Indian heritage? And then I'll ask you your final question. (laughs) Woo, that's a loaded one. That is, that's- um... Hey, well, you want the people to get to know you, right? For sure. And I will say, first and foremost, everything is informed by my West Indian heritage. I'm not even going to lie. There's no way. Because my parents, um, I have an older brother. There's four of us, honestly. But um, my older brother and I were the ones that were raised together. And my parents were very big into introducing and instilling the West Indian culture Um Big ups to my Lucian people, Sakafet, and morals and food and everything. Like, uh, and I was also exposed to, and I, I don't even know if this is Canadian, and this is the problem that we have here. Um, there are a lot of being Black in Canada studies because we cannot tell you what it's like to be Black Canadian mm. because there's nothing that we can really associate with that except for a lot of just um, negative experiences, if you will. And, and then I start, I can start getting into, you know, society's perception and, and um, school disengagement, uh, youth incarceration, racial profiling, you know, all of that. Sounds and like America. Sure it is, <laughs> So many conversations to be had. Don't let like pretty little hello, bonjour, sweet little Canada fool you. There, Canada's a great country, but there's a lot of shit bubbling underneath. Um, I mean, they don't even know how to treat their own people, their own Inuit people. Anyways, I'm not going to even start. So there's just, just so much to be said, and there's a lot to unfold there. But honest to God, my personality and tastes are very much Caribbean. And y'all will hear it because there's sometimes I'll be like, hey, and things will just come upon me that are very Caribbean-like. So, you know, the the, the vernacular might change a bit, but y'all will get it. It, You'll get it. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you your last question, and then you can ask me mine. If everything in life is story, what's your favorite story to tell? Ooh, what's my favorite story to tell? There's so many beautiful stories to tell. Okay, I'm gonna make like a, a an amalgamation here. Um, so there's beauty in both big and small things in life. That black culture is it, y'all. It's it. It's not going anywhere. Contrary to a lot of complainers out there, 
It's it. And we, this blackness, this beautiful blackness as a diaspora, we're unstoppable. That's it. That's all. Those are my stories. Those are the That's favorite our favorite stories. story to tell. Yes, because I think that a lot of our culture and being and everything parlays into every single thing that happens every single day on this earth. It doesn't matter what kind of perspective you take it from, there's still a little dabble, even if it's 0.5 of blackness in it. It bothers me when I'm sitting and I'm watching a commercial on, in Canada with a whole bunch of white people in it going, you go, girl! No, no. <laughs> no, we don't go. I mean, so I... things like that are vernacular. And, you know, there are just a lot of things that are, are pulled from black culture that are, you know, undeniable. It's just, it's us. We're the foundation. I agree. We're the foundation, mm-hmm. and I agree that um, Black culture is the leaders of culture globally, right? Like, cause we're the leaders of global culture. Um, but I do yes. think that there's a little bit, I'm going to push back a little bit, and this is probably going to be specific. Oh, yeah. This is going to be very consistent with our show. Um, you know, so we, we, on one hand, we love the fact that we're the global leaders of culture and that we can look at almost anything that's popular in media. And as you pointed out, see a seed of blackness or antecedent of blackness in it. Even things that aren't necessarily considered black, like rock or country, um, right. you know, thinking about music um, and, or even like uh, pioneering theater, like in advancements in theater. Um, some of that also owes a, owes a debt to blackness um, and black writers and creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, on the same token, hate the fact that everybody else borrows from it and wants to emulate it and wants to copy it and wants to like imitate it. Like that's that's what it is to be the leader. <laughs> like you know is that people are gonna want to be like you um and i get the social political aspect of it right everything of everything but the burden right we want they want all aspects of us our lips our butts our breasts <laughs> our you know our, our sex um you know our music our, our language but none of the burden and so I, I do get that part of it but there's almost like an anger and resistance around the idea that so many people um, do borrow, do appreciate. And there is a difference between appreciation and uh, appropriation, right? Yes. Um, and not always the people who are, who are taking or borrowing or emulating respect that difference. Um, so I, I get that. But I also am always like, well, you want them to not like our stuff, <laughs> right? Because we've been there. You know, you want them not to see our stuff because we've been there too, and we didn't like it. You know, we didn't like when our stuff wasn't promoted. We didn't like when our stuff wasn't given same platforms as white stuff um, mm-hmm. and wasn't valued. Um, and so, you know, there's a tension there that I don't always think we respect uh, when we have this kind of conversation. But, and that's the kind of thing you can expect to get from the Gibson Gazette podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, your your last question for me. Last question. Uh, uh, Okay, I'm gonna swing it a little. I'll swing it back to some music theater kind of thing. So what was the last concert slash if you can even remember that far? I looked it up when you asked me. When you send me the question in advance, I look, you know, so people, we had the question because we didn't want to sound stupid on our first podcast show. Um, so, you know, we totally prepared for this. Um, yeah, I remember the last song, last artist I saw before the pandemic and what I would see post-pandemic. So That's right. I the, the post-pandemic, I would see Silk Sonic in a heartbeat. I actually may fly myself from Merida to Houston just to see... That show, I love that album so much. It's one of my favorite yeah. albums of 2021. Um, it speaks to me as a Gen Xer. Uh, I also love Anderson Pack. I don't care what anybody says, Bruno Mars can sing his face off. 
And yeah, like <laughs> I would go see Silk Sonic in concert um, yeah. in the pan in, in in the pandemic because we're not even in post pandemic, right? Like they, them Silk Sonic is definitely going to go on tour this year, and they don't they are not going to care about no Omicron. <laughs> Um, the last concerts I saw live pre-pandemic were Anthony Hamilton's last tour and PJ Morton's Paul tour. And I saw them both November 2019. I looked it up. Um, now, I remember the show with Anthony because I was disappointed and I'm never disappointed in Anthony live. I normally love Anthony Hamilton live. I've seen him several times. He's never disappointed me. But it was his last date on his tour. Um, the background singers had to do some heavy lifting because his voice wasn't in full voice. Um, uh, you know, he had, you, he was exhausted. You know, he had been on a tour, yeah. a multi-city tour. It was the last show of that tour. And, you know, they tried their best efforts. You can definitely see when people are giving their all. But, you know, I have seen Anthony before and I've seen him be transcendent. And this was not a transcendent show. PJ, on the other hand, um, who I have grown in appreciation and admiration for i used to love him as a studio artist um but i wouldn't i didn't necessarily like his live shows when he first hit and i've been a pj morton fan since like this very first album before most people even knew who he was and interviewed him and and wrote about him um very very early in his career but live vocally his band would be killing but his vocals were just okay and i'm a vocal snob so but PJ, the last two or three times I saw him, has completely, completely upped his game vocally. And he gave me one of the best shows I saw last of that year. He murdered it. Wow. He murdered the stage. And, I mean, I had wrote something. I'd seen him with, um, God, who are the people? Uh, Lettucey and Kirk Franklin. They were all on tour together. Um, PJ Open. And that show was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Like they wow. all three, I didn't even think I wanted to see Kirk Franklin. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was like, "What am I doing to Kirk Franklin?" You know what I'm saying? What am I doing to Kirk Franklin? So, and um, and it didn't even matter. He's such a consummate entertainer. He's he's all over that stage. He's like old school Sammy Davis Jr. You know, old school James Brown. Like he is a showman. And he was incredible. And let us see what got like emotionally moved in the show, um, singing a song about her dad. And PJ had opened that he had just like crushed it. So there wasn't a, a false note. Like everybody in that show brought it. And I wrote about it and um, PJ responded. Like let us see had shared it because I'm associate with let us see. And she shared it and um, with PJ and with Kirk. And they both responded to me directly. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but one of the things I said was exactly what I've said on the show, which is that I wouldn't have recommended anybody see PJ Live before, but I definitely would recommend people see PJ Live after seeing that show. He had grown so much. Um, so, yeah, PJ Morton, if you get a chance, definitely go see him. Anthony Hamilton was having an off night. Definitely still go see Anthony Hamilton, you know, even though I didn't now. love his last album. He probably, yeah. Yo, on tour, so go catch there that, yo. Anthony Hamilton with Maxwell and Joe. Yeah, that's so are are guys even allowed to buy tickets to that show? I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Is this like one of those old Teddy Pendergrass shows where they you know, only women and they listen to me. <laughs> I was shocked. Like shocked, I so I, I I felt like I was at a TP concert. I was turning around; these women were losing their minds. Joe just walked on stage with a glass in his hand, and people were losing their minds. And he had a great show; he's fantastic. But I just could not wrap around my brain how, like, how and why. <laughs> I, I get the why; he's fantastic. He's fantastic, but it just it freaked me out. So that's screaming for, for Maxwell, screaming for Joe, and then you have um, Anthony Hamilton with all of his... Listen, mm -mm, that concert's I mean, Dever, don't underestimate those artists that were kind of mid-tier, but still managed to have had 30-year careers. You know, I one of my favorite shows of 2019 was... Uh, I went to... It was Brandy and Neo. I went to go see Brandy. I did not go to see Neo. I'll be honest. I went to go see Brandy. 
Brandy actually was in a good voice. Well, she she sung with a track, which I hate track shows. Um, yeah. And I was like, Brandy, why are you on? A, why are you giving me a track date? <laughs> why are you giving me a track date at, at Aretha Franklin Amphitheater? Um, you know, because it was outside. It was big arena. Like, girl, track date. Mm. So I was I was very disappointed about that. Um, Neo, who I did not come to really see. Gave me one of the best shows. Like he slayed. He danced and sung his way yes. through hit after hit. I knew every song. Was surprised at how many songs I knew, and it was just like, I mean, it isn't that I didn't like him before, but like you say, you know, there's artists that you like. Oh, I gotta go see, and the artists are like, oh, they're on the ticket. That's cute. And he was like, right. on the queue. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I gotta go see. Now I would go see Neo anytime. He has yeah, a phenomenal show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I haven't seen him lately, but I saw him a few times previously, and I, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I'm, I'm a big fan of his as well. Brandy is a whole other discussion. Oh, oh, oh. well, we're not gonna do it. We're not coming for the vocal bible. Like we are gonna fight on our first show now. And see, I love Brandy. Okay, we got to save that. We got to save it. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't you tell the people, AMC, what can they expect from the Gibson Gazette podcast? What's going to be like the format and um, and what is the request we have of them? Oh, OK. So for the format, my peoples, we are going to start with, let me see if I uh, have it here. We're going to do a couple of different topics, actually not a couple, but a few. So we're looking at uh, loving it. So we're going to open the show with a positive story that both LMG and I loved from news, whatever it is, we're going to pull it and discuss it from our perspective. After that, we're going to hit you with a, it's complicated. So it's going to be a story that, excuse me, we both have mixed feelings about. So we love certain aspects, certain aspects we don't. And then we're going to come together and give you our thorough critique about what we're discussing. And lastly, just say no. Just no. So that's our last topic. And that, of course, is where we're going to come in with the harsh critiques that you guys love and and are going to be speaking about for days to come and are going to want to listen to the podcast again the week after to see what we're covering with again. Lastly, this is where you guys come in. We definitely want to hear from you. I'm sure you've seen LMG's post and some have seen my post, but we are soliciting for stories from you guys. We want to hear your stories, your your tantalizing and hood rat, because somebody was saying they had a hood rat story. I said, share it. Share it all. We want to hear the uplifting, the depressing. We want to go through story different stories and ways with you guys so we want you guys to share it with us and um we're going to discuss it online online on the podcast we're going to discuss it on the show and um you're going to tell us whether you think it is true or not or we're going to tell you so i'm sure that alone we're going to get some interesting stories to take a look at and discuss i'm sure i'm sure no, I, I have no doubt. And uh, folks, again, make sure you tell us at the very end of the story um, for Emory and I or AMC and I for to just let us know whether or not the story is true or false. We're going to leave it, you know, a little bit of a space for the audience to say whether or not they think it's true or false. Um, and they can say so in the comment section and then we'll let you know whether or not it's true or false. But we definitely want uh, an, episode, an, an element of suspense um, about the show, um, about the stories that you share with us. The other thing I want to say is do not send us no books. Don't send us your novels. Don't send us your short stories. One page max. We want like one or two paragraphs, one page max. You know, this is a time in which, uh, you know, uh, everybody's into brevity. Nobody likes long things. That's why, you know, Emory and I cut our questions because we're like, oh, that would have gone two hours. We got two hours. <laughs> So, um, yeah, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we are not spending 30 minutes on that story. Uh, you know, we have like a 15 minute segment for that story. So give us a page. You know, if it, if it hints over a page, page and a quarter or something like that, we ain't going to throw it out. 
we also are not reading every story. We we imagine we'll get tons of stories at a certain point. We'll have to use our gifts of discernment to say what stories we want to bring to you. Um, don't get mad at us if we don't pick your story. Uh, there might have been lots of different reasons, or it might be something we we share in the future. Um, so, right. Right. Uh, the other thing I want to note is uh, while the show is going to be every two weeks, so be looking for our show every two weeks on Saturdays. We should be launching at three p.m. Um, on Saturdays. Y'all can start sending us notes and stuff when we're running late. Um, but uh, we also are going to use Twitter Spaces in the week in between shows. So you can have a conversation with us live. We'll talk about stuff that's happening in the news. Um, it may be just me or maybe Emery, maybe both of us. Um, but we're wanting to make sure that we're touching space with you in the in-between weeks, particularly as, you know, maybe as a, a really heartbreaking story, amazing story that y'all want to hear our perspective on. We're going to um, talk about it there. That's going to be more off the cuff, not as scripted, not as polished. You know, we both might get a little bit more ratchet there. <laughs> so visit us <laughs> on Twitter spaces for um, and, you know, obviously like subscribe to the podcast show. Um, we probably should make sure we say that in the intro too. Um, note to Chris. <laughs> um, but like and subscribe. Uh Every place online in the universe where our Gibson Gazette or at Gibson Gazette or the Gibson Gazette, but usually at Gibson Gazette and Gibson is G-I-P as in Paul, S-O-N Gazette. Um, so not with a B, with a P. Yep. Um, not Gip. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up listening to my mother have to explain that to every single school I ever went to. It's G-I-P as in Paul, S-O-N. <laughs> so it is, that is embedded on the brain. Um, so anyway, uh, that's our first show, I think. Amory, you have anything else? You know what? The only thing I will add is your stories, when you send them in and when we speak about them, we will not be listing you as Katrina so-and-so from so-and-so. It will be an Anon story. And your names will be changed to save face and the yada, yada, yada. That's our disclaimer. So make sure, just to let you know, make sure your name and stuff is on it. It doesn't have to be really. But when we talk about it, it will be an anon story unless you want all your business to be out there for the people then. So that's up to you. <laughs> yes, that, that yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to protect the innocent, the good, and the evil. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. Again, like, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, help us build an audience. Um, you demanded this, and we are delivering it. Um, so hopefully, you um, you will help to grow us. Uh, and you know, we're also open to recommendations and thoughts. Though keep in mind, we are growing and evolving on the shoestring budget as we put this together. And so we will get better as we grow and as the coins come in. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, we're gonna man we're gonna manifest ads. How about we manifest manifesting some ads? That's what we're gonna manifest. Right. Some sponsors, some paid sponsors. We're manifesting that. Uh for Gibson Gazette. Anyway, thank you all, and um, remember everything in life is story. What stories are you telling yourself? Mm -hmm.